0: That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon.
1: Today is Sunday, December 6th, 2020. On this day in 1993, Catholic priest James R. Porter was sentenced to 18 to 20 years in prison for sexually abusing 28 children. welcome to today in true crime a spotify original from parcast due to the descriptions of sexual assault against minors listener discretion is advised extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. today we're covering the sentencing of james r porter a catholic priest and pedophile who was accused of molesting more than 100 children Let's go back to December 6, 1993, to the Bristol County Superior Courthouse in New Bedford, Massachusetts. The courthouse crowd rose as Honorable Judge Robert Steadman took his place on the bench, The jurist knew that today's session would be a difficult one, not only because of the crime he was asked to sentence, but because of the religious ramifications it entailed. Stedman was born in Cambridge and had spent most of his 67 years in Massachusetts. He knew the Bay State, and he knew how deeply intertwined its culture was with the Catholic Church. He banged his gavel on the bench and invited the crowded courtroom to be seated for the hearing. It was time to sentence former Catholic priest James K. Porter, an admitted pedophile and child molester. Two months before, on October 5, 1993, Porter had surprised Stedman. He'd stood up in the same courtroom and pled guilty to 41 different charges leveled against him by 28 plaintiffs, ranging from sodomy to indecent assault and battery. He admitted that as a priest in the 1960s, he'd sexually abused dozens of children. But today, for this hearing, he spent most of the time seated. Judge Stedman wanted to give the victims a chance to say their piece. Though they were now adults... They all recalled the pain, suffering, and humiliation they experienced as children at the hands of James K. Porter. They stood in the witness box, sometimes speaking to the judge or the court, and sometimes directly to Porter. For his part, the guilty priest sat quietly, occasionally removing his glasses to wipe the tears from his face. Whether he was genuinely remorseful, Judge Steadman couldn't say. For all he knew, the man was only sorry he got caught. Stedman listened to the survivors as they recounted their experiences with Porter at Catholic churches in North Attleboro, New Bedford, and Fall River, Massachusetts. They talked about the dark places the assaults had sent them to. One woman, Mary Kennedy, recalled how she attempted suicide at only 11. Another witness, John Robitaille, spoke directly to the judge, asking him to remember that Porter hadn't attacked the adults standing in the courtroom. Instead, he'd betrayed the trust of children. Robitaille said, I carry that dead child within me. Many others called for Judge Stedman to take the Catholic Church's inaction into account. As they recounted, though their parents levied accusations at Porter in the 1960s, the Boston Archdiocese did nothing to help them. Instead, it actively protected Porter, In response to the allegations, the church moved him to new parishes throughout southwestern Massachusetts. They hoped to cover up his crimes, counting on shame to keep his victims from going to the police. Many stated that the ordeal had caused them to lose all faith in God. After hearing from 22 plaintiffs, it was time to listen to Porter himself. Stedman thanked the survivors for their words and motioned for the priest to come up to the box. Porter shuffled to the front of the room, sniffling as he walked. His wife, Verlyn, looked on, her expression inscrutable. He turned to the court and tearfully asked for mercy and help. He declared that he was deeply sorry to all the people he'd hurt. Finally, it was time for Stedman to read the sentence. He declared that Porter was an effigy, representing all the other named and unnamed child abusers. However, he had to ensure Porter the man be sentenced only for the crimes for which he has pled guilty. Therefore, he would be sentenced to 18 to 20 years in Cedar Junction, a maximum security prison in Norfolk, Massachusetts. He had to serve at least six years before he could be considered for parole. So many years late, the monster finally faced punishment for his crimes. Up next, we'll discuss the widespread issue of sexual abuse in the Boston Catholic Archdiocese and beyond.
0: Hi, it's Greg. I wanna tell you about a fantastic podcast show I know you'll love that dives deep into some of history's most notorious leaders. It's called Dictators, and every Tuesday, it examines the reign of a real-life tyrant, exploring the unique conditions that allowed them to seize control. Dictators have a never-ending thirst for power. Some seize this power through force, others through deceit, and all of them won't hesitate to eliminate anybody who stands in their way. You can hear episodes on dictators from the Roman Empire like Caligula, World War II dictators like Benito Mussolini, female dictators like Isabella of France, and many more. There are over 40 episodes available to binge right now that I know you'll find fascinating. Discover the governments that fell, the lives that were destroyed, and evil at its highest level. Follow Dictators Free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Now, back to the story. On December 6, 1993, Catholic priest James R. Porter was sentenced to 18 to 20 years in prison for sexually abusing 28 children. It was a watershed moment for how the law and society at large treated the scourge of pedophile priests. In Porter's case, the reason his crimes went unpunished for so long was due to the Boston Archdiocese's complicity. In April 1960, shortly after being ordained, he began teaching at St. Mary's Parochial Grammar School in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. The complaints against him soon flooded in. At a time when most Catholics saw priests as infallible pillars of the community, it's remarkable that so many parents fought to have him removed. But the Boston Archdiocese elected to move Porter to a new position in Fall River instead, where he still had access to children. It was a pattern that persisted for over a decade. Porter assaulted children, someone complained, and the church shifted him to a new parish. They had no interest in protecting their congregation, only the church's reputation. They counted on the shame of the victims to keep the story from breaking out, During the 1960s and 1970s, society saw sexual assault as a shameful thing. Many parents may not even have believed their children, choosing instead to trust the word of an authority figure like a priest. So Porter's victims dealt with the double-edged blow of their assault and the extreme humiliation that stopped them from reporting it. In 1973, Porter even admitted his crimes in a letter to Pope Paul VI, he requested that His Holiness release him from the priesthood. Rather than reporting him to the authorities, the Pope granted his request and let him go. When these revelations came to light during his 1993 trial, it set the stage for a reckoning of biblical proportions. Bolstered by the Porter case, other survivors of childhood sexual abuse by clergy officials began speaking out. The startling extent of the church's cover-ups was revealed. Six years later, in 2002, the Boston Globe's Spotlight team brought the issue to the nation's attention. An article titled, Church Allowed Abuse by Priest for Years, appeared in the paper's January 6th edition, opening the floodgates on the Catholic Archdiocese of Boston sex abuse scandal. Thousands of tips flooded in, and the journalistic team published a Pulitzer-winning series of articles peeling back the layers of secrecy that had protected predatory priests for years. Porter's case paved the way for thousands to seek justice. By bringing the problem out of the darkness, It emboldened survivors to demand accountability from the church. Even today, the ripples are still being felt. In 2018, survivors named over 300 priests as child molesters operating in Pennsylvania. That same year, the most extensive probe into clerical sexual abuse in South America occurred in deeply Catholic Chile. That investigation has wide-reaching ramifications for Latin America, which is 69% Catholic. In 2019, Pope Francis made sweeping reforms to the way church law handles sexual abuse of minors. Under his new mandate, A diocese couldn't cite confidentiality in cases of rape or sexual assault. They couldn't move a priest to a new location, then refuse to tell law enforcement or the victims what happened. Under Pope Francis, church leadership has indicated it wants to protect Catholic children from predators. But the damage has been done. And in cities like Boston, there's still a lot of pain and distrust between the church and some congregants. If the church ever hopes to repair this relationship, there's still much work left to do. Hopefully, one day soon, the church will be able to follow the words of Matthew chapter 19, verse 14. Jesus said, Suffer, little children, and forbid them not— to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven." Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from ParCast. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Molly Quinlan, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, and fact checking by Cheyenne Lopez. I'm Vanessa Richardson.
0: Don't forget to check out the Dictators Podcast. Every Tuesday, they go deep into the minds of some of history's most despised despots. You'll get insight into their rise to power and the impact of their downfall. Search for
1: Dictators in the Spotify app and listen free today.